0: Welcome to the Boho News Podcast. Here, we share the latest news, comments and opinion from across the boutique, lifestyle and luxury hotel sectors, along with thought-provoking interviews with industry leaders. My name's Eloise Hansen, editor at BHN and host of this week's episode. This time, I'm speaking with Chip Connolly, who many of you may know as the founder of boutique hotel collection, Joao Aviv. After he sold the company, Chip later joined Airbnb as Head of Global Hospitality and Strategy. Today, however, we're going to learn more about the Modern Elder Academy, which Chip founded in 2018, and how hospitality and living continues to blur. Chip, what an absolute delight to have you on my podcast today! I'm super excited to learn more about what you're up to, and I, I suppose, where you've actually come from. But first of all, where are you calling in from today?
1: I am calling in from. First of all, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. I'm um, calling in very early in the morning in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in the United States.
0: And I'm sure we may find out a bit later why you are based there, but. To begin with, Chip, um, I want to give you some context as to how this podcast is going to play out today. We used to run a regular feature on Boutique Hotel News. It was called Checking In With, which was aimed at getting to know the more personal side of hoteliers and general managers. And what we've decided to do is take some of those personal questions and frame them in such a way that we can get to know you a little better. Um, on our podcast show before we dive into the more professional industry-focused questions. So Chip, my first question for you today is, what are you surprisingly good at?
1: I've been told I'm surprisingly good at um, being a zeitgeist surfer, meaning seeing a zeitgeist, uh, zeitgeist means something that is coming almost sociologically or culturally and in essence being the surfer who can see the wave out there in the distance and and you know I've done that a few times in the hospitality business and I guess that is the evidence that I have some some knack at that
0: well thank the lord that we are going to be grabbing out our crystal balls later on in today's conversation so that bodes very well and chip what are you surprisingly bad at?
1: You know what? I think I'm surprisingly bad at process, um, uh, administrative process. I'm, and I, you know, it's not surprising because I'm sort of a creative, intuitive type of person. So the idea of the linearity of how are we going to get this done, the program management, it's not that I'm bad at it. I just don't like like I just don't like doing it, and mm-hmm. I I can do it <clears throat> in a startup mode. You have to do it. But, um, but it's not a super skill of mine, nor something I like to spend my time doing.
0: Well, luckily, we now have artificial intelligence and all these automated tech platforms to now take all those laborious jobs off our hands. Yes. And what skill are you yet to master?
1: I would say the math, I have an 11 year old son and an eight year old son, and I, I think I still need to master being a great dad all the time. Um, I'm not with them some of the time, a lot of the time, actually, for for a complex set of reasons. Um, but I love them deeply. I love their 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 mom. They have actually have two moms. So uh, let's be honest, let's get it like way out there. I I am I am the dad as a sperm donor to two moms who wanted to have uh kids and Originally, it was that I was just donating and they're friends. Mm-hmm. And then they became, they had two sons and they, and they said, we want you to be in, in, in Eli and Ethan's lives. And so I am in their lives. We live in different places, which means I have to really make time in my schedule to go spend time with them and to go on vacations with them and things like that. So I'd say I, I, am, I am a great dad when I'm with them. I'm not with them enough.
0: Mm-hmm. And speaking of kids, what is your earliest childhood memory?
1: My earliest childhood memory is being at Disneyland, which I grew up near at maybe two or three years old, and be, I must have been older than that because it was we were on the my dad and I were on the line for the Matterhorn, so maybe it was four or five years old. I don't know. The Matterhorn said, you know, like a roller coaster um okay. and I had to go to the bathroom and I kept telling my dad, we had to go to the bathroom, but if I went to the bathroom, we'd have to get out of line and then we lose our place in line. And so just as we got to the front, ready to get in, I peed in my pants and I peed peed a lot. So that, you know, there's a little puddle below me and we were not going on that ride. And, uh, Oh my God. So that's one of my first memories. Like, okay, I, I got to learn my, learn my skills in that area even more um, <laughs> as I grow up. Uh, so yeah.
0: Normally people pee on the ride or after the
1: ride or. That is so true. Yes. I was, well, see, I'm ahead of the game. I'm usually yeah. like, okay, I know what this is going to be like. I'm going to get this out of the way.
0: (laughs) At least tell me you did eventually go on the ride
1: and enjoy it. You know, I, to be honest with you, I don't remember that part. I just remember how embarrassed I was and how mad my dad was. Um, (laughs) So so to be honest, I, my memory of it is we never went back on the ride. Um, But Mm -hmm. all all I can say, you know, I, I had a, I had a rough, rough upbringing with my dad but my dad and I are he's 85 years old uh, turning 86 very soon and um, we're very close so.
0: Oh good oh good maybe a bad memory turned happy memory so to speak yes. <laughs> and and Chip how would you like to be remembered?
1: I mean, I'd i like to be remembered as a social alchemist someone who is a mixologist of people um, and someone once characterized me that way. And I was like, wow, that's so true. I am, I'm somebody who knows how to put together a dinner party or have a big, you know, birthday party, you know, for myself or for someone else uh, and bring just the right mix of people together. And, and with the right conversation such that people have deep life-changing, you know, conversations together. And, and so a little bit why I do what I'm doing now, um, which we'll talk about.
0: On that note, and what a brilliant, brilliant segue, I am so keen to learn more about the Modern Elder Academy. And for those that might be listening and are unfamiliar with what you are now doing, can you please introduce the Modern Elder Academy?
1: Yeah, this feels like the, the crescendo of my career. Um, as you know, I've had three stages. I was a boutique hotelier for 24 years, one of the first in the U.S., and um uh, created 52 boutique hotels over 24 years, in Cal- all in California. And then at my Airbnb time, uh, which was way ahead of the curve for hoteliers to understand like, ah. And, you know, at a time when nobody had heard of Airbnb, I joined and became the founder's um, in-house mentor. And they called me the modern elder. And that experience of being the modern elder at Airbnb, and they, and they said that a modern elder is someone who's as curious as they are wise. Mm-hmm. And the reason they called me that That was partly the definition, this alchemy of curiosity and wisdom, but also because um, I was twice the age of the average employee in the company when I joined, when it was a very early startup. And so what I learned in my 50s, uh, because I joined at age 52, is that I I think that we need to understand midlife better. Because I had had a really rough late 40s, and then my 50s was my favorite, you know, decade of my life and um and so i i coming out of that experience at airbnb uh, four years full-time three and a half years as a very active part-time strategic advisor um, i realized i wanted to create something called the modern elder academy the world's first midlife wisdom school uh, because uh, it's sort of a mixture of hospitality because it's a luxury hospitality experience with education around midlife and how do you cultivate purpose? How do you navigate transitions? How do you own your wisdom? And then the last piece is wellness. How do we create wellness in people's lives? And so these three things that, you know, hospitality, education, wellness um, led me to creating MEA and um, our first campus is in Baja uh, in, which is in Mexico, uh, just south of California. It's called Baja California, but it's actually in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're near a place called Cabo San Lucas, uh, which is a very popular tourist destination. We're about an hour north on, uh, with a beachfront campus. And um, it's been a, quite an experience. We've had 3,500 people come to our campus for week-long programs, and they've come from 44 countries. And we have twenty six regional chapters around the world, including a very active group of people in London.
0: Good to know. And a friend of mine is also traveling Mexico very soon, and I'm very, very tempted to maybe hop on a plane and 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 join her out there. So if and I'm far. in the area, I will absolutely swing by. It'll be great to meet you in person.
1: And you're you know, Eloise, how old are you? I'm twenty eight. You know, you, we have had 28-year-olds come to our program. I know it's shocking. It's called the Modern Elder Academy, MEA. But you can be an elder at any age, depending upon who you're surrounded by. And our average age of people who comes 54, but we've had people as young as 28 and as old as 88.
0: Mm-hmm. So would you say that it's more to do with your mindset and approach yes. than yeah. age and demographics?
1: Yeah, it, it really is because it's, you know, if someone's, you know, if you're in certain kinds of careers, If you're a professional athlete, a fashion model, a a Mm -hmm. software engineer, maybe in in the advertising or marketing business, gosh, for those in at 35, you might feel older, you Mm -hmm. know, old and obsolescent. So um, there's all kinds of reasons why people come, but they're not not just exclusively related to professional reasons. Sometimes it's they're going through a major life transition. Uh, a, a breakup, a divorce, um, a change in someone's spirituality, um, uh, moving locations, etc. That mm-hmm. that, they're, that they're actually grappling with.
0: Mm-hmm. And you just touched on there, Chip, about your 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 motivations and and reasons for for launching the Modern Elder Academy. Um, but what I would like to dive into here is is your hospitality and hotel knowledge and experience. How are you bringing that now into the living sector.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm. I there's a place called the Esalen Institute in in California. Called, um, it's the first personal growth retreat center in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Started in 1962, and I used to go to workshops there. And then I went, I taught there, and then I joined the board of directors. And that now the bookstore is named after me there. And so, long story short, is I have a long long history with this place, uh, a personal growth retreat center. And I love it. It's they they they're famous for the kinds of workshops they've done there. But the thing that I've always I always was disappointed with there is that um, number one, the hospitality experience was sort of lacking, both mm-hmm. aesthetically but also from a sort of hospitality service perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, there was really not an alumni program, you know, for people afterwards. So you keep that you keep the the experience you've had moving forward into the future. Uh, and you, ha- and you create connections with other people who are alumni. And so um, I, I, I both of those are key things that that I put into the MEA program on the hot to more be more specific with your hospitality question, you know, to have three, you know, if you're staying for a week at a in a program, you're eating on site and to have spectacular food. Uh, and wine and you know a lot of times a retreat center doesn't have wine or alcohol but we do um because you know at the end of the day you want to sort of sometimes especially if you're in mexico you want to have a you know, a margarita <laughs> um, and um so i there's a real um there's a real sense that all the staff deeply cares around about how they're delivering their hospitality we asked our staff there. there's about 30 people on staff um to come up with their list of values for the organization yeah. and so they came up with their list of values which are displayed in our organic garden both in English and in Spanish for both our staff as well as our guests and um, so yeah it's, it's been a beautiful experience and I think part of the reason we have done as well as we have is because of the hospitality dedication we have.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm seeing this trend particularly within the office and co-working spaces, particularly those sort of next-gen co-working spaces that are really lifestyle-driven, design-centric, and mm-hmm. how the to, to target former hospitality employees who have that service level, who knows what it takes to really deliver.
1: Yeah, Danny Meyer has been a friend for a long time, famous restaurateur in the United States, and um, he has taken the idea of hospitality and said it can be applied to any kind of industry, any kind of business. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can, his book, setting the table, um, really articulated this. And, um, and I, I believe that, I believe that, uh, hospitality can be at the heart of any kind of business dealing, especially if you're in the, if you're in the service industry and two thirds of the world's GDP is in service uh, of some kind.
0: hmm let's move on to talk about disruption and we know that you've been part of some pretty disruptive brands um but but now looking back in hindsight and also looking forwards at the same time what do you see as the greatest disruption to hospitality
1: well i think first of all to be a hospitality disruptor sounds like an oxymoron yeah uh, because generally, you think of a, a, a someone in the hospitality business is not going to disrupt you in the middle of a meal or disrupt your you in your guest room. If uh, so, it's a, it's a, it's always been an awkward piece of language. And and when I joined Airbnb and the founders, I said they're going to call you a, hospita- a disruptor in the hospitality industry, but we better actually be different than Uber. So Uber was sort of a disruptive company that just prided itself on being this sort of like you know mm-hmm. alpha alpha dog. Um disruptor. And at Airbnb, we, we when I joined, I really helped the founders to see our culture and our branding really needs to be different than that, even though we were the two sharing economy darlings um back you know a dozen years ago when I was joining the company. Um long story short is I think that uh I think this the biggest disruption in hospitality, I think, right now is uh, how entrepreneurship is going to be a, a bigger and bigger piece of hospitality. And I think there's all, all kinds of reasons for that. Airbnb is a perfect example of that. Um, and I was in charge of all the hosts around the world and like, okay, it was basically little entrepreneurs, little mini entrepreneurs that I was working with and and helping to educate and helping to get clear on like, you know, how do we make the platform work for them? Mm-hmm. So. I think we're going to get more and more entrepreneurial. Um, it doesn't mean there won't be big brands. Doesn't mean there won't be the Marriotts and the the Intercontinentals of the world. There mm-hmm. will be, but I, but I think a lot of the innovation uh, and the disruption will not necessarily come from the big companies. It will come from the smaller entrepreneurs who have a new idea and are willing to risk it. And it may sound crazy, like you know, home sharing. Um, you know, there were opportunities for the big brand, hotel brands to buy Airbnb a long, long time ago. They should have done it. They didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly because they didn't understand it. And mm-hmm. um, so I think disruption is a combination of understanding cultural phenomena, that cultural zeitgeist piece I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. and being able to see that with understanding a business model that can work. Because you might have a great idea, but the business model doesn't work. Um, And there are a lot of good examples of that. But then you have to know how to operate it as well. So cultural zeitgeist, um, it's got to have a financial business model that works. And then Mm you've got to operate the business in a way that it is offering something better than what's already out there. That was one of my concerns when I joined Airbnb um, was, could we ever operate at a place where guest satisfaction was gonna be as high or higher than hotels. When I joined, it was lower, but -hmm. when I left, it was actually substantially higher than the average net promoter score NPS, which is the the metric we use um, in the hospitality industry, most people do. Um, We were higher, a good bit higher than the hotel industry. So how was that? How did we get a company to get to a place where the people who were providing the service were not even our employees? Um, and and they were delivering at a level that was better than the employees in a hotel, on average. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, and I those are some of the secrets I wrote about in Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, one of my books.
0: Mm-hmm. Everything that you have just touched on there, Chip, and, and I'm I'm asking you to now really get out your crystal ball and look towards the future. What impact do you think this is going to have on the future of travel? What does that look like? How is it going to be reshaped?
1: I think that what, so I think entrepreneurship is one piece. And I think the other piece is, you know, customization. And I think um, AI is going to accelerate that. The Mm. idea that um, people do not want want one size fits all in terms of tour, tour programs or you know, what a concierge is going to offer them, et cetera. Um, I do think that Airbnb's greatest opportunity, given that it's a data company, much more so than Marriott or, you know, uh, Expedia or Booking.com. I mean, Booking.com has great data, but it doesn't have the data that Airbnb does um, because Airbnb has a lot more data points with Mm -hmm. as many, many different um, listings around the world and then the experiences platform so i think a company like airbnb um, could create could become a lifestyle concierge like a curator of lifestyles and such that if you know someone's going to um to paris the first week of october and you know their preferences and you know what they what kind of place they book but also what experiences they've booked before plus the person's actually filled out a one minute quiz around what their you know traveling tastes are all of a sudden, you know, once you've booked your your Airbnb listing, uh, there's a there's a there's a, an itinerary, a week long itinerary in Paris, and because we know you love jazz and you you're a vegetarian and um, you like doing yoga and uh, you're fascinated by um, French history mm-hmm. and you love modern art and modern architecture, guess what? Here's the here's the plan for you and. Uh, that we're not far from that. That is that is not too far in the future. And I think it's it doesn't have to be Airbnb doing it. It could be other people doing it as well. Um, and I think that that kind of customization is is coming. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm I'm seeing early signs of it within AI, as you've just mentioned, and in the the chatbots now that that larger hospitality parent companies are now deploying either within certain brands within the portfolio or on um specific individual hotels and the more that these AI tools and chatbots are being deployed and learning about guest behaviors and preferences and and pulling this together, we might see the likes of Airbnb really sort of taking hold of it and, and rolling with it and becoming a new dominant travel player within the, yeah. the widest ecosystem. Yeah. I would like to bring the conversation um, finally, Chip, to, to, to look at the later living sector. This is an area where I think there is great opportunity for hospitality and later living to really blur, but I want to hear your thoughts. Where do you see the opportunities for that convergence?
1: So later living, I'm assuming you don't mean like people who are like partying at midnight, um, <laughs> later in the day. Um, No, you mean later in life, Um, and so yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. In the U.S., we call it senior living and uh, retirement communities, and all that. Uh, You know, we're getting rid of the term retirement communities. We have created at 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 MEA a regenerative community. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, what's the difference between a retirement community and a regenerative community? Retirement community is for is exclusively for people who are older, and and 50 years ago, the average age there was 65. The average age in the retirement community today is 84. And so mm-hmm. it's like, wow, that's really old, um, which is not good for that for that sector. Um, mm-hmm. And that sector is going to have some troubles um, because they're, do, they're doing the one size fits all and they haven't changed a lot, innovated a lot in a, a long time. So what's a regenerative community? Instead of it being exclusive to people who are 55 or 65 and up, it is people at any age who are interested in regenerative principles. So mm-hmm. the one we have in Mexico is around a regenerative farm. So regenerative farming and ranching is a thing, and so uh, it's it's great for the it's great for the the earth uh, because it brings back the soil, but it also is great for food. So it's mm-hmm. nice to live on a farm because you get a lot of fresh produce, um, and so the idea that. Uh, Regeneration is the next stage for anybody in life, meaning how do we constantly renew ourselves is better than the idea of retirement, which is the idea to retire means to withdraw and into seclusion. Um, And it's not a bad thing, but it also is something that can be extremely boring. So um, I think that the future of later living communities are going to be more intergenerational. They're mm-hmm. not be, they will not be exclusive to that age. Um, there'll be a lot more things to do than just golf or bingo. Um, and there'll be trips that the, the community will organize and say we're actually taking a trip to Iceland um, and to do the you know spring equinox mm-hmm. there uh, or summer equinox. summer solstice summer solstice uh, (laughs) there and we're gonna do and we're gonna do hot springs and um and so like wow wouldn't that be interesting but you know generally speaking these 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 communities are very real estate driven and not service driven so it's all about you buy it and then you get you know you get your meals assuming that there's a meal program sometimes in these places but there's not much more than that and Mm. so i think the idea of education and travel and Intergenerational collaboration. Wouldn't it be interesting if you had a co-working space in one of these regenerative communities such that younger people in the broader area got free admission to come there? And then you had older people, maybe older entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who live in that community, doing a cross-generational um mentoring opportunity there. So I there's just so much. Um, and I get very frustrated with that industry because I, I find them to be. Um, it's not that they aren't smart or wanting to be innovative, but they're so attached to the real estate that they already have, Mm -hmm. and their model, that it's hard for them to break free of their model.
0: Mm -hmm. We host quite a few events. And you'll be pleased to know that any breakout session around retirement, community, senior living, later living, however you want to brand it, is so popular amongst our attendees. And I don't know if that's over the last three years we've had that um, awakening that that health and wellness is now ranking really high on our priorities and agendas, but there is a lot more interest in this sector, more than I think people realize. So I'm certainly learning a lot. Um, The Modern Elder Academy, you have one site at the moment in Mexico.
1: Great question. We have one site and another site. I'm here in Santa Fe, New Mexico right now, partly because we have a second and a third site that will be here. One of them is a 2,600 acre regenerative horse ranch that will have two retreat centers there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that will open in March of 2024. And then the other one's in town. It's a former Catholic retreat center and seminary next door to St. John's College um, in town of Santa Fe. And um, that'll open, you know, in a couple of years after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yes, we're continuing to grow. And we'll also have some regenerative residential communities here in Santa Fe. Uh, We have had people ask us to do what we do all over the world. Um, For right now, we would like to be a catalyst for other people to create their own version of a midlife wisdom school um, or a regenerative uh, residential community. But we're going to focus on just these two areas right now, uh, Mexico and the southwest of the US. And Santa Fe, New Mexico, for those who don't know it, is one of the most culturally fascinating and beautiful places in the United States. And mm-hmm. it's very, very popular with Americans. Um, it's lesser, less known internationally, um, but it, it it's constantly number one and number two on the uh, travel and leisure uh, mm-hmm. annual of the best cities to visit in the United States.
0: Uh Aha. Well, I'll certainly be keeping my beady eyes on you and exactly where you're coming next, Chip. Best of luck with the launches. I'm sure our sister publication, Urban Living News, will be the first to know as and when (laughs) you launch new products. It's been a real pleasure and delight speaking with you today. Again, best of luck, and I'm sure we'll catch up soon.
1: Thank you, Elvis.
0: for listening to the boho news podcast if you'd like to keep up to date with industry news head on over to boutiquehotelnews.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter